It's host number two of the Bitcoin Podcast, D, with my solo show, uh, TBP's On Ramping with D. Hope you're excited to hear another uh, on-ramping attempt um, of a curious person out there in the world who's heard about Bitcoin, heard about blockchain, um, you know, isn't quite sure what it is, and maybe hopefully them stopping on On Ramping with D will help out. If you haven't heard one of the shows, my attempt. So this show is my attempt to get an idea of the person who is hearing about a new technology, kind of curious about it, but doesn't all the way know what it's about. And it's kind of like they're on ramping onto what Bitcoin and blockchain is all about. So now that you know a little bit about this show, after hearing that awesome music by The Absurdist, uh, I'm going to let today's guests introduce themselves. And Yes, hello. My name is Clark Gayton. I'm a professional musician in New York City. I specialize in trombone, tuba, euphonium, bass trombone, and keyboards and, and production, uh, live performance. Um, I was, uh, I'm always curious as a musician as to how I could present music in a new way as something exciting and Bitcoin seemed to be the new thing that everybody's kind of talking about. I don't think a lot of musicians really know what it is. So of course now I want to know what, it, what it's about and the possibilities of how I could present, help it to present music in in a different way and in, in a innovative way. Cause that's exactly what music needs right now. It's, it's, we're pretty much on the ropes when it comes to uh, uh, record sales and uh, live performance, you know, this is one of the lowest periods I've I've experienced since being in New York. So maybe this could this can be a way of uh, rejuvenating the industry a little bit. Mm. That's my so, background. So, what what exactly has got the music industry in such a lull? Well, um, uh, Spotify and streaming companies of that that sort have have really put a dent in, in record sales. Uh, it's not really necessary to go out and buy physical CDs and, uh, the residual payments for actually getting your song on Spotify or 
Pandora, it doesn't match what it used to be. So it's a, the money coming back to you is, is extremely low. And it also uh, hurts the live performance. People aren't coming out to see live performance that much anymore. Uh, the venues have been closing. Uh, yeah, people would just rather sit at home and watch it live, watch a live stream on, on their computer, which I understand. But I think I think in order for it to be a, uh, the industry to be healthy, it, I think we need uh, making sure that musicians can get some uh, some kind of compensation for the music that they write and the music that they produce. You know, most uh, most people just can't drop. Fifty to hundred thousand dollars to make a record, and there's no way of recouping your money. Uh, so that is the crux of the problem. Mm, I see. Yeah. So, so what is it that you know of Bitcoin so far? What have you heard? Uh, I, I what most of what I've heard is from my sister, who's, who's very much into it, and uh, I just know that it's a. Uh, it's just a, a type of currency that's that's an alternative to what we we normally uh, are used to, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I just figured it might be in this in the industry of everybody being on their phone or being on the computer it might be a good way to inter, uh, integrate income into uh, the music business. Well, you, you're not wrong. There's some projects yeah. in the space. Mm-hmm. That are trying to do this. Yeah. Um, it's less those those more so aren't Bitcoin, right? So yeah. so so Bitcoin's just it's kind of like money, and the reason I say kind of like is because it's got some very unique properties that our current financial system doesn't have, in that it's decentralized and it's distributed. Um, so so what I mean by that is like decentralized is is kind of like instead of it having a corporate head. There's just mm. all sorts of hubs of Bitcoin that all run simultaneously. And there's not one central thing that's controlling Bitcoin. Right. And then distributed, of course, it's just it's distributed. It's global. It's anyone mm. who has a computer can connect to the Bitcoin network and then they can be verifying transactions. They can send and receive Bitcoin and they're a part of that networker. So mm-hmm. That's Bitcoin um, on a very like very high level, not getting into the weeds of it. Um, right. So what I think, what you're kind of more interested in is some sort of system like Ethereum. Have you heard of Ethereum at all? No, no, I haven't. Okay, so mm, so this is going to be a leap. This is going deep. Yeah, so yeah. so Bitcoin is a very stupid system, right? It says somebody sent this amount of Bitcoin to this other address right and typically okay. historically you would need like a third party to do that right okay yeah like if it's not cash right and i'm going to say to everyone that i sent money to someone else typically banks would be the person that would say yeah or the entity that says yes that money went from me to you mm-hmm. but with the bitcoin blockchain you don't really need that to happen because it's verifiable on the blockchain. So if I ever, if anyone ever needs to check to see if I sent Bitcoin to you, they can just look on the Bitcoin blockchain for free and say, oh yeah, he did. And then how did I know? Well, here's the address that I sent it from. And you could say, well, here's the address that I received it in. And they can look and say, oh, yep, it matches up. 
the money transferred. Mm-hmm. So when you take that simple concept and then you break it out into data, you can actually verify if information went from A to B, right? And if it transferred. Mm-hmm. So then it's easy to put value, physical value on a blockchain and say if that value went from A to B. Say, for okay. instance, digital value in the form of a CD or a single. or So right now, think about a decentralized iTunes, right? Right now, everyone's yeah. going to iTunes or going to Apple Music to stream their music or buy their music one song at a time. So the only difference is that Apple is centralized. But if there were a system just like iTunes that wasn't centralized, then it would actually take that huge cost of having to keep a ledger of who's buying what songs and sending them to who and distribute that amongst all the nodes that are taking place, which would in turn, in my mind, theoretically, give more money back to the musician. Oh. So... Uh, okay, so uh, if, am I too far off thinking it's, that it's almost like, like almost like a credit system, or like uh, you're building, you're, you're trading something in, uh, you're trading a, an actual product or a service, and you're someone is gating almost like a uh, building up a, a credit into an account. Mm, not necessarily. So the yeah. way Bitcoin works is Bitcoin is just cash, right? It is. So, yeah. So it's. You know, if you give me something, I'll so it is tied. It is it is it is tied to uh, a currency. It is tied to a currency. So yes, it's not it's not its own entity, right? Okay, right. So well, Bitcoin's its own entity, but mm-hmm. it's considered cash, right? Okay. Because of what it allows. So Bitcoin allows for digital uniqueness. So we're gonna go get a, get a little bit into the weeds here. But Bitcoin allows for digital uniqueness. And what that means is typically the way the Internet works nowadays is if I send something that's digital, I still have a copy of it, right? Yes. So if I send you a document, it could be like, hello, Clark, and it says a Word document. And uh, I still have one on my computer, and you'd have one on your computer now that literally even says now, copy of hello, Clark, or whatever I need. On the Bitcoin network, when something is sent, it's unique. So if I were to send a digital product from me to you, I no longer have it anymore. I don't even have a copy. Oh, you oh, have that digital You've sold everything. thing. Yeah. Yes. It's now left my ownership and gone to you. So the obvious uh, first use case of this is money, right? Like the first thing you yeah. could probably think of is like, oh, well, let's make it money. That's genius, right? Yeah. I mean, if I could show that I'm giving you a set of ones and zeros that exist and it's the only pair of it's the only set of ones and zeros like this that exist, then let's make it money, right? You can't counterfeit yeah. it. You can't just make infinite of them. That's it. Yeah. And so the obvious first use case is money, but then you could see like, oh, well, what about some other things that w- would be valuable? What if I could sell digitally unique products? Well, music. <laughs> music, yeah. music, right? Yeah. So in music, yeah. there's all sorts of metadata tags, right? Like uh, artists, producers, um, any pretty much any kind of metadata you'd like, you could add into a song when you upload it anywhere or when you make it. Mm-hmm. 
right? And so then all you would need is like maybe some sort of system to verify that that's that authentic good. Right. So you can encrypt a, a song with this this information so that you, if I do sell a song, it's like you say, it's unique. It's out of my computer. I don't, I don't own it anymore. And it, it, be, it becomes ownership of someone else. Absolutely. So say right. you want to make an exclusive album and there's only ever going to be 50 of these albums. Right. right. And you want to sell them to the populace, but you can give each album a digitally unique signature. And once you sell it, it goes to that person and you no longer have it. Right. And they, and they, no, will they, will they at that point be able to rip copies of it and things like that? So now we're getting a little out of my territory. Okay. (laughs) So, so so that's, that's interesting. There are platforms, right? So there's platforms that exist to help that are actually kind of trying to spearhead these movements. And um, one of them is Ujo Music. Um, there's another, I can't get it right off the top of my head. But what they're trying to create is somewhat of like, if you could think of, if you're an artist, well, not if, you're an artist, and yeah. you had a digital avatar that could just go around the internet and collect every single time your song was clicked or every single time it was played Every single time it was downloaded, just all of the interaction on the internet that exists and your music, your content, you'd get paid for. Yeah. So Ujo Music, U-J-O Music, M-U-S-I-C dot com. It's an amazing platform. And really it's trying to do, like you said, is take some of that power away from the streaming services and give it back to the musicians. Um, well, that's exactly what we're looking for. Yeah, and, and it's a very lofty goal. Um, we actually, on our main show, we interviewed Imogen Heap, who kind of started the started you know rolling the ball on this idea of giving power back to the musician and and making it be streamlined and automated so that whoever's a participant in making that song or making that album, they get their cut automatically too. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so. Wow. I wish I were a representative of Ujo music and I could go a little bit under the hood of Ujo to let you know. I could, I'll go there and I'll do some in my research on it. Now, what about live performance? Would you see any way how that could, how this could be integrated into the, into uh, seeing shows or putting on music, putting on a live show? Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess I would say like the toughest thing is people are just going to stream it live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah the better that technology that. becomes, the easier it becomes for somebody to just take out their phone and start streaming it. I don't know. Maybe that would be like at the venue. You're not allowed to have your cell phones out kind of rule, maybe. Um, but I do know there was a service. It's I think it's since gone out of business, but I do think people are trying to rebuild on this platform. And that is charging by the minute for streaming services. So, um, streamium.io was the original, but essentially it would work like this for the consumer. I take a, some Bitcoin and I load them into my web browser, whatever client that I'm using that is going to allow the internet access so I could send transactions out, send money out. And I sit down to watch a stream, and once I open it, it's going to say, hey, this stream costs half a penny a minute to watch. Right. 
And you say, okay. Right. And then you load into that stream, whatever you're going to watch, how long you want to watch it. Or it'll tell you this thing is this long. Do you want to watch it? Here's the price. And you pay for it right then and there. Right? So there was streamium.io. Trying to think of the other service. PopChest. PopChest is one. They're still around, though. And essentially, you pay for content by the minute. And originally, it started as something to try and disrupt YouTube because right. because YouTube is great for the early YouTube YouTubers. But from right. what I understand now is there's a lot of people really struggling to make money off of their content because YouTube kind of restructured how they did things, but grandfathered the early adopters in. Right. And and so what this service PopChest is trying to do is get money straight back to the content creators. And that's what a musician okay. is in my eyes, creating content. So there's another service there, but in if I had to like, I don't know, consult, I would say being putting energy behind a company that is trying to monetize streams. Yeah, so, yeah that's I think that's what everybody's looking for these days. And um in the you know, in in, in my industry everybody's um is so focused on just you know, trying to put out a product or learning their instrument and that sort of thing that the, you know, we were the last to know about a technology. Even when the uh, MP3s first came out, musicians were the last guys on the boat. <laughs> and by the time musicians had some kind of handle on what the concept of an MP3 file was, you know, the, the ship had left. Yeah. <laughs> it left the dock. You know, I so think it, from – go ahead. Keep going. Yeah, so so something like this is, is, is very interesting because like it is – it's really at the ground level of all these, everybody just trying to figure out a way uh, to, to, you know, to truly have it work. Buddy. Uh, I, you know, if you're, especially if you're trying to create something. This would be my challenge is that that's not the first time I've heard that musicians are usually the last person to the party. Um, yeah. Actually, my brother, he is a jazz musician and yeah. he tells me a little bit about the history and the history of how musicians were just taken, you know, just just taken for granted because the uh, management companies and the record labels were just, they were so far ahead of the game when it came to distribution and even the technology like vinyls and CDs yeah. that by the time the musician got to the party, they were just getting, just taken advantage of. Because well, yeah, really yeah, because, because there's so many laws, not to interrupt, but there's so many laws and, and rules that are in place. And it's, it's almost impossible to catch up because by the time the musician figured, oh, man, I got to get I got to get a publishing company. Oh, I have to copyright my stuff. By the time you figure that out as a musician, you know, you it's, you're, it's usually late in the game. I, even though I have to say nowadays, um, younger people really know the business a lot better than, than we did, you know, 20, 20, 30 years ago. So, so much emphasis is put on the music business, but still, uh, you know, as technology changes, you know, especially with jazz musicians, you know, the first technology were the, were those, uh, those wax cylinders. <laughs> you know, so that's when the rules of, of, of reproduction started. They started making rules about, well, who's going to get paid for this? So, it, you know, by the time people figured out what a, a wax cylinder was, they'd already moved on to the 78 recordings, which presented a whole 
other set of copyright laws that you have to learn. So just, you know, as soon as, as soon as the technology changes or, and the way of, 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 uh, of presenting the music. So with, with every cylinder, there is a player to go along with it, which every 78, there is a, a record player to go along with that, which presents problems. So the same thing goes with an MP3. It's a new technology, which brings on the iPods and the uh, MP3 players and how, they, and the, how they're presented. So that leaves the door open for companies like Pandora to just kind of go, go nuts with, <laughs> with, uh, how they can infringe on, on your rights as an artist. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to keep up, especially as a jazz musician. You know, most of the time they're jazz musicians at home practicing and <laughs> trying to get better. They're not thinking about all these rules. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, so I think so, it's important uh, now that musicians stay, stay up abreast of what's going on and how, how it's changing because trying to make up for 10 years of, you know, I'm, at right now, people are just now putting out their own CDs. Musicians, it's a regular thing now. But now you have 20 years of history of this, that being in, in the industry and being a part of a everyday life is uh, you're trying to catch up with all those rules and, and guidelines and red tape. It's very difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a big problem. There's one, I'd like to ask you to join our Slack because there is a gentleman in there who works in the music industry, and uh-huh. he's he's actively trying to solve these problems. Um, hmm. I can introduce you to him. His name's Dino. Oh, if you're listening, yeah, Dino, you need to listen to this, Dino, and you need to contact Clark. But uh, he and I were having a conversation just about this yesterday about all the you know, the hurdles the music industry is facing right now. And especially, mm. I think the hurdles trickle all the way down to the artist having the highest hurdles to jump. Yeah. To to make money off of their creations. So Yeah, yeah, that's that's the that's the that's the main obstacle, you know, right you know, to, to make a, a CD is you have uh production costs, you have musicians to pay studio costs, and now you're just not seeing yeah, I I I think I put out about seven CDs under my own name and um, you know after paying everybody you know you, you, you're trying to figure out ways to, to sell your product nobody has a CD player anymore <laughs> so that's, mm-hmm. putting out a CD, CD is, is really kind of archaic at this point so but you still have to put out something you have to Absolutely. put out some kind of music you know and uh, so figure out no new ways to present it new, new ways to uh, people can exchange, you know, and I think, uh, just having a new, uh, a new way of, of thinking about currency is pretty exciting. So from what I yeah. understand, how these streaming services work is they basically reconcile, like maybe yeah. at the end of a month, they'll reconcile how many clicks you got and then give you a paycheck. Right. Right. And you're basically going just on their data on there. You don't, on their data, you know, they say this is how much, and they have been good. I have been getting a, a, a readout quarterly about how many times my my stuff is played internationally, and uh, it's pretty substantial. But and, and not substantial amount of plays. But if I had gotten this many plays, and a company like ASCAP or BMI had been recording it the money would have come up to be a lot more. Uh, so they determine 
what each place play is worth, uh, which becomes you know fractions of a fraction of a cent. Mm-hmm. You know, and in their mind, that's what they've decided that that's what it's worth. Um, so, yeah, that's 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 tough, and it, it, it's not really much incentive <laughs> to make any more new music. And I think what in turn what's happening is we're just you know, we're having a low in creativity. Nobody, you know, so I could put out all this music, spend all this money and just, and have no incentive <laughs> to do this. So, uh, I think that's the, the, the um, the next stage is to tr- tr- figure out a way to create, uh, a motivation and incentives to, to, to make more music and, and create new music. So is the problem not that is not that you're not getting paid. The problem is that you don't have, a table you don't have a seat at the negotiation table for how much you not at all no you don't and uh also what has happened is um entire catalogs have been absorbed by lar- larger company interscope and sony and emi have absorbed all you know they they've bought catalogs older catalogs of older music and they just throw it up on itunes or whatever platform they you know apple music whatever they don't ask you initially you can you can go to their site and say listen i don't want you to play any of my music you can you can do that um mm. but their rate is going to be their rate and it just and there's no way of uh and you know they've been trying to uh bring all this to the senate's attention but lobbyists and everything just keep on you know uh you know, it, it just never gets anywhere. So really what uh, it sounds like these musicians don't necessarily, they just need something that gives them a seat at the table to negotiate yeah. what they're worth. Right. Not yeah. just like, Oh, exactly. you, you tell me I'm worth fractions of a penny. I'm just supposed to take that yeah. on the chin. Yeah. That's exactly what's going on. That's exactly what's going on. And, um, then you, and you can say, well, I'm just not, I'm just going to take all my, my music down, which some people choose to do, but uh, you know, I, you know, I I can't say a couple times I've walked into a gro- um into a you know clothing store and you know some of my stuff is playing. I said, well, that's nice, you know, it's, and it just so happens that you're in the um, on a playlist at in, in on Pandora or some uh, TV channel or something, and this it just kind of comes up randomly. So it's good. Sometimes it could be good exposure that you probably wouldn't have otherwise just to get in inside that, uh, that matrix mm-hmm. and just have your stuff kind of pop up. So that's, that's nice, but not, it's, uh, it, you know, the money doesn't really, doesn't really add up. Even, um, major artists can get millions of plays. I, I, I'm just hearing about the, that song happy that Pharrell did. Uh, he got well, obviously millions and millions of, of plays, but apparently through Spotify, he only made $4,000. <laughs> Jeez, you know. really? Yeah, yeah. It's some, some uh, I, I don't know. It, it was around that that number. It's just something really, really pitiful. Hmm. And for him, it's great because it's just constantly playing. It's advertising, which that's that's a great way to look at it. But a lot of people uh, used to rely on radio play and um, and ASCAP and BMI to kind of collect those those monies and also uh jukeboxes throughout the um throughout the you know the country that that are you know now they have these digital 
jukeboxes now that you know that they're, they're connected to Spotify, they're connected to all the BMI and ASCAP. But once again, like you said, they've kind of come up this this number that say this is what you're worth and this is what we're gonna pay. Whereas before, if you played a song on a jukebox, you put a quarter in, <laughs> a quarter of yeah. a song. You know, so I mean, if it was anywhere near that, I think that we'd still have a better industry. You know, even if it was a nickel a play, we'd still be better off. Hmm. Well, I think at this point, it would behoove you to check out Ujo Music. And yeah. you know, on our show, we've actually had them on recently. If you just go to our website, thebitcoinpodcast.com, and you search for Ujo Music, you'll hear the uh, interview. But they're I'll doing like, some. Yeah, they're, they're, they're live. They're, they're live. I think they're in beta right now. Uh-huh. And they're kind of testing some smart contract systems. Um, and they're looking to get their leg into like Spotify so that the, the musician would actually have a seat at the negotiating table. So every time, like the coolest thing I like to do and how I decide to find new music is the wisdom of the masses, right? I'm mm-hmm. guilty as charged for using a streaming service. But when I go yeah. look for music on the service, I look for how many plays it has. If it has mm. like 3 billion plays, I'm like, okay, obviously a lot of people like that song. Let me check it out. And, yeah. you know, there's a high chance I like it too. And sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'm like, ooh, yeah. wow, this uh, yeah. 2 chains, this is terrible. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> you know, somebody, you know, sometimes I go check it out and I'm like, whoa, this is cool. And then an even cooler thing to do is in, like, sometimes I'll listen to an international song and I'll check out how many plays it has in that country or whatever. And I'm like, whoa. Sure. You know, like that's an easy way for me to discover music. So there are advantages to the streaming services, but well, well, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and I think a lot of people that have been standing up for in defense of streaming, saying, "Well, this is where it's at now." I have no problem with the technology. I think the technology is great. I think uh, once again, it's what the it's the deal that we've been broken off and and, and not being having any say in the matter. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and like you said, not having a seat at the negotiating table about how it's going to, how it's going to go done, you know, it's almost completely scratched out of the equation. And, and now that they, uh, Sony has bought, <laughs> bought, sucked up all the, uh, the rights to most of the songs that exist, you really don't need any new music, <laughs> which is, which is really <laughs> the scary part. <laughs> you know, you know, you say, well, you, we got this great new trumpet player, 18 years old, but he came up in an era where. He couldn't get played for his music. Would you rather listen to him or Louis Armstrong? <laughs> you know, yeah. so uh, Louis and, and you know they've got thousands and thousands of songs, or recordings of Louis Armstrong and different versions and outtakes. Blah blah. They have you know the, the catalog that they have accumulated, accumulated over a hundred years of recording is it's a you know they don't. If you just wanted to go into seventies music. You know, funk mm-hmm. music, Earth, Wind, and Fire. It's endless. Uh, uh, so you know, so for me to say, well, I, you know, come up the same way. Well, yeah, you're not gonna get any more of my music. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sign this deal because it's not good for me. So what's well, fine? We have Maurice White. <laughs> we have all of this stuff. So we mm-hmm. don't really need, we don't really need your, your input at all. So it's hard. We're so it's a difficult place to negotiate from with absolutely no power but i'm i'm optimistic i love i think that the uh the platform is once again it's uh 
it's a new way of playing the music, and I think it's great. I'm not arguing against the technology and, and the way that it's been set up. I think it just has to, they just have to, um, to really think about how they can uh, invest back into the industry, as opposed to just kind of keep on, you know, which is kind of you know that's a, the state of the world now is just to keep on <laughs> taking from the earth and not putting anything back in it. And I yeah. think the idea is to try to put something back into the uh, into the soil. Yeah. So. Wow, we didn't, we really didn't talk about Bitcoin that much, and usually oh, people yeah. to talk <laughs> yeah. about Bitcoin. Maybe I should talk about it a little bit, or maybe yeah, uh, yeah, 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 help me out. So, do you understand, you know, what makes it a currency and why people view it as a currency? Yes, I do. Yeah. Now, um, I have, from my my sister that tells me also, you don't have to. You could buy portions of a Bitcoin, right? Yeah, absolutely. So you don't have to buy a whole Bitcoin. Like one Bitcoin right now is worth about $4,300 as of today. It changes yeah. on a daily basis. It's a, it's a budding currency. But, uh, you know, you if you want $4.30 worth, then you would buy, like, what is that? Like 0 .01, 0 .001, somewhere in there. Uh, yeah. 0 .001. Yeah, 0 .001 Bitcoin. You got $4.30 worth of Bitcoin, right? So you don't have to buy it all at once. Wow. Um, you can buy it in fractions. It's, it's just like exchanging a currency, right? So it's kind of like it's just on the internet, but it's kind of like if you flew over to Germany or if you flew over to the UK and you have to stop by the currency exchange and you have to change your dollars into pounds. Yeah, I, same yeah. difference. Except for this is digital. You go on a portal, a service like Coinbase, or um, let's see who else. Bitquick, uh, and you Bitcoin. basically, you know, you send them ten dollars USD, and you're gonna get ten dollars in Bitcoin back after fees. So yeah, or you'll I'm down with that. And get fees. So it's it's really simple. Coinbase.com tends to be the easiest to on ramp. Um, oops, sorry about that. That is so loud. <laughs> that was my phone. <laughs> Um, Coinbase.com. That's coin, like coin and uh, base. Coinbase. Yeah, B-A-S-E. Okay. I'm writing all com. this stuff down. And that tends to be the easiest route to go because it's it's very it looks very familiar to how you already online bank, and getting Bitcoin is like just takes clicks, like a few clicks mm -hmm. and you're in there. Um, oh, you know what? In fact. We're going to do this live. This is a first on On Ramp with D. I'm going to On Ramp someone using Coinbase because let's just face it, audience, that is the most fluid way to do it nowadays. Let's say 10 bucks. Let's say 10 bucks. Yeah. And I'm not going to give your email out on the interweb, so I'll just go look here. Let me see. Mm -hmm. I need some elevator music to make this. <laughs> this is exciting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you mind if I put you on the spot for a second? No. Ladies and gentlemen, our guest today, his email domain is AOL. 
AOL.com. You've got mail. Yeah, man. Old school. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Cool. Should be in your inbox any second. So you just got some Bitcoin, and we didn't need a bank to do it. I just got it, yeah. And so that's kind of the beauty of Bitcoin, right? So we live in an era where you can send an e- uh, a message, an electronic message to someone in China in less than a second, right? Like if you need to sell something to, if you need to tell something to someone in China, you can do that. You can do that virtually Ooh. free, and you can send them a message. Boom. So why does it make any sense that if I want to send money to someone in China, I have to wait three to five business days or I have to have a bank right, or I have right. to have some sort of intermediary that's going to get in the way of that and oversee that transaction? No, it should just be like cash. And that's what Bitcoin allows, is that if I someone see. in China is like, hey, I need some money, here's my Bitcoin address, I could say, oh, yeah. okay, let me send you some money. Boom. And they have it. So... I mean, obviously, we have uh, Venmo and and PayPal and everything, but you say, it, like you said, it takes a few days to process, and it's not. So this is instantly what it is. You know, yep. you just said, you know, ten dollars of Bitcoin. Now, how easy 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 to say? Well, yeah, well, I'm just going to transfer this into my bank account. Are most banks um, uh, up on this technology and they can yeah. accept? Yeah. So with Coinbase.com, uh, if I ever need to cash any money, if I need the USD, I'll just send it straight to my bank account. It's there within 24 hours. For me, it's, it's they say give yeah. you up, they say gives up to 48 hours, but for me, it's always really fast. It's like a day. So wow. um, that's if I need it. If I can't pay for it in Bitcoin, if I can pay for it in Bitcoin, I just I just pay for it. But like to pay bills and stuff, I always got to make sure I got the right amount of USD in my checking account for bills to come out, then that's just a quick, like, shoot the Bitcoin back over. How 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 much of Bitcoin uh, occupies your everyday, day-to-day, you know, like payments you're dealing with with uh, people you have to pay and so-and-so? Did, did you do everything through Bitcoin at this point? Me? I don't. I don't do everything through Bitcoin. I buy a little here and there with Bitcoin. Um, I use it as more of... So this is an interesting question. It leads us down the path of like, how do people use this stuff? All right, so there's three ways you can kind of look at Bitcoin. As cash, as an investment, or as a technology. It's really all three. But you're going to find there's like schools of thought that kind of coagulate and congregate in those three different buckets. Yeah. And like me, I use it mainly as an investment, right? So I yeah. do some trading that, on the that's side. That's how I was looking at it. Yeah, I just see how fast it's it's moving. Right yeah. now. it just seems and, to be it seems to be a wise thing to get into. And, and you know, honestly, like right now, and it's in in the stage of growth that it's in, it's most people are going to use it as an investment because the history yeah. has shown, the recent history has shown, if I just hold on to this stuff. It's gonna get, it's gonna gain value. I'm one of those yeah. crazy per- people that thinks that I'm just gonna hold on to it forever. And if it does increase in value <laughs> and become the standard, then I'm just that guy who has a lot of what's the new standard. So that's my viewpoint on this. 
No, so. and, and do you use this to actually integrate into like uh, any stock market things or? Uh, uh, um, do you, what do you mean? Well, you know, gold or you know, invest in pork belly, something like that, or or, or just solely as investment on its own terms. Um, I do use it. I trade other currencies with it though. So like I'll trade like ether okay. against Bitcoin, Litecoin against Bitcoin. Um and there's okay, lots of yeah. other tokens. That's going down a rabbit hole. But yeah. um I use those it to trade with, yeah. But there is possibilities, yes. And there is there are um yeah, GBTC is a investment fund and shares of GBTC you can buy and sell. You know, if you want to do that, you could. So um, you could find GBTC on like any, if you just go to like Fidelity or E-Trade or Ameritrade, yeah. I think you can just trade yeah, GBTC if you like, but yeah, um, it is getting a little bit more friendly with the traditional monetary system. ETFs are like the first ETFs got rejected. <laughs> it looks like they're back on the table. So, um, it's it's coming up slowly but surely. Yeah, there's. I mean, I you know from I I don't know a lot about it, but I, I I've been reading about it, and of course, naysayers and people that want to dwell on on the on sometimes I you know I've read about some rocky periods, and uh, I can't say I know exactly what it was because I didn't understand the technology. Probably, it's, are, are there still a few um, pitfalls? At this stage, is it still that so new that there's just some uh, some growing pains? Mm, you know, we have been having growing pains in the community with upgrading the software. Mm. So because it's open source and because it's decentralized, um, you know, whoever's working on a certain implementation or working on a certain version that they feel should be the best version is is really vocal about it. And that uh -huh. causes, like, splits in the community, really. Like one one portion of the community thinks that Bitcoin should be upgraded this way, and then a second portion of the community thinks that it should be upgraded a different way. So it's caused some state. It's caused some stalling in the progression of Bitcoin. So recently, we just gotten over that. There has been an upgrade to the software, but still, since it's open source, the people that didn't want to upgrade just didn't. Right. Right. And so. That's kind of one of the hangups to an open source system like this is that like you get these moments when not everyone's on the same page and different people want to progress how they want to progress, which is a human trait, you know, um, but it does cause it'd be different. Like if it were one central system, like if it was PayPal, then ultimately it'd be up to like a group of four people that would say, OK, we're going to do this. Let's do it now. Right. And it would just make the change. And then everybody who had PayPal would get a little software update notification and it would happen. But with Bitcoin, right. it's not like that. There's no head at the table. There's no board of directors. There's no anybody. It's a decentral system. So if an upgrade happens, it's got to be organic. It's got to be something. Well, that's that's yeah. amazing. It's just totally, yeah, it's totally everybody's kind of contributing to it. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's why I like I have lofty reasons for why I like Bitcoin because I call it the people's currency. It's it's our currency. It's like it's not distributed by government. It's not distributed by anyone. The value that uh -huh. Bitcoin has is the value that we decided that it has. 
And the more people that adopt Bitcoin, the more valuable it becomes. It's just the people's I, currency. So, what would it, in in if you were to write a sci-fi movie about something like <laughs> this, just completely completely just spinning out of control? What what are the possibilities of that? Just kind of like uh, if it's becoming it has its own artificial intelligence and <laughs> starts revealing its power in some sort of crazy way. What do I, <laughs> things it's funny things do get scary like that because it just so happens to be the one currency on the planet that machines really could understand and use well and you you talk about giving a machine so for instance i always like to use this because it's a very simple use case but imagine if i bought a car and it was a smart mm -hmm. car like a tesla or something it could drive itself around it can do things but then imagine if i gave that car a wallet and I said, hey, car, yeah. you, you know, have a digital wallet. You can do things with this wallet. You can go wherever you want. You can pay tolls. You can park where you want. You can do what you want. So then the car decides on its own. Not on its right. own, but I tell the car, hey, you're going to be a taxi service. And it's an electric car, so it can pay for things when it wants. It can park and juice up. So at a certain point... This car's wallet isn't going to have enough value in it. It's going to automatically make a decision to buy another car. Yeah. Right? It's <laughs> right. going to say, well, I can't. I'm getting so many people in me. This is the car talking. I'm getting so many people in me. I need to buy another version of me. So it contacts Tesla and it says, Tesla, I need to buy a car. And then your car emails you and says, hey, by the way, I'm buying another car. <laughs> you yeah. say, okay, go for it. And so then it buys a car straight off of Tesla's lot. That car drives itself and you now have two cars or it drives itself to a parking garage and it parks. Right. So, yeah, that's a very <laughs> to me, that's a very real possibility is you have this yeah. entire like taxi service that basically owns itself. And then, yeah, it drives itself, makes money for itself. You know, so and, um, in a very sci fi world, that's what I would Say, I think things need to start slow. Like, why can't my car have a wallet right now? If I go to Mickey D's, I don't want to hand someone my credit card. That's awkward. I don't want them to swipe it wrong or whatever. I pull up. I see a little notification on my dashboard that says, hey, pay. I click the button. Then I go get my food. Like, why can't my car have a wallet? I load it with money. If I go through toll services, why do I need to get a freaking letter in the mail to pay a toll that doesn't right, make any sense. Right, your car can do it. Just as soon as my car goes through, it gets in the transaction. Mm -hmm. That's it. And if there's no money in my wallet, then I get a fine. Right? If I don't, if I didn't load my, because I know I'm going to be traveling on the toll. So if I didn't load the wallet and when it pings for the money and it's not there, then it gets my license plate. Then I get a fine. Right. Right. But if you but, can handle it. Well, that'd be great if you could just kind of handle your bills and any violations. You just kind of, your car just takes care of that. Yeah, like but, uh, if I get pulled over and I get a ticket, just pay it right there. I don't know. Just like there's there's options with this stuff. And to me, I like that one because I would so do that. I'd buy a Tesla like tomorrow and say start a taxi service. <laughs> Make it happen. <laughs> um, yeah, that's my sci-fi. Hat, hat. So that's not too that's not too horrible. No, no. I was thinking that it might your, your car your car might 
decide you're obsolete and <laughs> you have to go. <laughs> I can't get back yeah, in my car. It's like yeah, you can't get back and you'll you just can't get a afford, new order. You can't afford yeah. to ride in me now. <laughs> yeah. What? That's weird. weird. Um, just made the decision. <laughs> yeah. So let's see. I always like to go a little bit into this uh, and why I keep faith in the Bitcoin network, really, because currency is about faith. Mm-hmm. And no one yeah. should act like it isn't, although everyone takes advantage of that fact. But like, if everyone in Amer- if everyone around the globe at once decided, uh, I don't really like the, the dollar that much. It's not really that cool. Doesn't look cool. Doesn't feel cool. I don't like it. Then overnight, the U.S. dollar could just lose all of its value because no one would have faith yeah. anymore. No one would have well, faith. That's a, very, in, that's a very real possibility these days. Yeah, tell me about it. Yeah. Tell me about it. But like everyone could lose faith in our system and lose faith in our government and just say one day, like, no, we don't want it anymore. That's a possibility. I'm not saying it's yeah. a re- it's not that realistic, but it is a possibility. It's just faith based. So once everyone realizes that currency is a faith based thing, then it's like, okay, well, what? Do I, why do I choose to keep my faith in something? And so me personally, I keep my faith in Bitcoin because of the underlying technology, the blockchain technology, and the, the way the game is built around it, right? So a transaction is just money for me to you, right? And we said yeah. something earlier in the show that was like, we don't need to verify because there's verifying being done for us, right? right. So who's verifying these transactions? Well, it just so happens to be the largest computer network that's ever existed on the planet that is verifying these transactions right now. So oof, I don't even, I don't know if I can do the math off the top of my head, but basically um, they're doing millions upon millions per second of calculations to verify that transactions are, are actually taking place like they are. Mm-hmm. Right. So, what happens is, when I say I'm going to send money from me to you, our transaction is then put into the memory pool of the blockchain. And all of these computers are competing for the chance to take a group of transactions and put them in a block. And once they go in a block, they get on the blockchain. So the way this works is that each block... Is, has a piece of the previous block before it involved in the computation needed to create it. So you can actually go all the way back to the very first Bitcoin transaction and see how that Bitcoin has moved through the blockchain. Right. Like all the way back. And so basically all these computers are, are, are competing to solve a riddle, to solve a mathematical riddle. And the first oh. computer that solves it, wins. And they get to take a group of transactions, put them in a block, and put them on the blockchain. Wow. So it's like a bunch of people competing to add a line to a ledger, right? You're like, I want to get my line on this ledger. I want to show this proof, blah, blah, blah. All these computers are competing to just add to a database. If you don't win the game, you can't add to the database. Each (laughs) addition above 
is makes it increasingly increasingly harder to go back and change. So that's the thing. Not increasingly increasingly hard. Impossible. So you can't change a transaction once it's on the blockchain. It's just there. Uh-huh. It's not going anywhere. That happens. Now, you can prove. Can, uh, are, are, are people trying to um, as they make, made attempts to hack the system? Always. But Always. their success rate is 0%. Wow. Because it's decentralized. And because it's robust. Because it's decentralized. Right? Wow. Because it's decentralized and because it's robust. So I used to know these monetary numbers off the top of my head. And I can't spout them out anymore because I haven't dug into it to see just what the real cost is, right? But every 10 minutes, yeah. a new block is added. So every 10 minutes, all of this computation that's been taking place uh, has to restart to try and solve another riddle. Wow. Right. So if you wanted, this is what you're trying. So this is why I say, this is why I keep my faith in Bitcoin. This is what you're trying to hack when you hack Bitcoin. You're using all of your computational resources and power for a 10 minute chance to go in and look to see if something sent money to something else. That's what you're trying to see with all of that money. Like that's all, that's it. All you get to do is see if something sent money to something else. Yeah, like, that's all you get. That's all you get. So what's the point? You know. So the best you could do is go back and take transactions off, right? You could say like, oh, that didn't happen, right? But you're talking about yeah. spending millions of dollars in energy, <laughs> like actual energy, just for an opportunity to do that. And then if you don't get it, the next 10 minutes, you got to do it again and do it again and do it again. And by the way, you have to have like 51% of this network. So when I, when I say millions, I'm, I'm really lowballing it. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. have to have a majority of this network, right? But then you got to make that change and you've got to make it agreeable with the rest of the network. So you really only get one 10-minute opportunity to do that because after the second 10-minute, it's the difficulty to go all the way back in time is that it's exponential. It's that much harder. Wow, that's really amazing. Yeah. So if I want to try to hack back and change a transaction that happened six months ago, shit. <laughs> like, it's, it's don't even try. Like, it's not even worth the money it's not worth the thought yeah. power it's just don't don't do it it's a waste yeah. of everything and so what you actually build is a system where you're incentivized to compete in the system instead of break the system down right because you're just wasting your money you're wasting your money in a lot of time you know and so because of that that's why i kind of keep faith in this system because I know not even a government can do that. Like, I think to stop Bitcoin right now, governments only have a couple options. They can turn the internet off and rewire it, right? Like, they can do that. But let's look at everything that halts when we turn the internet off. All right? Yeah. Banking, uh, flight routes, uh, boating routes, yeah. shipping routes, um, land shipping routes, uh, paychecks. Uh, the military, like, okay, let's just turn the internet off. Let's give it a shot. It's been talked about. 
say it hasn't been been talked about. Or there's the other option. Somehow I either have to a I have to not tell my people that I'm spending millions upon millions upon millions of dollars every ten minutes to try and change like try and uh hack this system to prove to my people that it doesn't work. Right. Or I've gotta somehow go out and like campaign to get my entire constituency to allow me to spend millions upon millions upon millions of dollars just to change a transaction or two. Right? Like, it doesn't make much sense for a government to even try to stop it. Like, like if my if my governor came to me and was like, hey, there's a thing called Bitcoin and it's infringing on our currency and it's going to make our currency not that powerful. I'd be like, okay, that sounds real tough. It's like, oh, by the way, I need like $10 million every 10 minutes to try and stop it. I would say, yeah. ooh. Tough luck. Just, just build a plane. Don't you, You're good at that, right? Yeah. Build a jet. Here's some money. Go build a jet. But like, now, I don't are, know. Are there a unique, uh, is there a unique relationship with Bitcoin and euros? Is it, uh, is that... A unique issue or problem, or, no, or it's not Bitcoin's a problem at denominated all. in euros too, and pounds, yeah. and yen, and yen, all the above. Right? It's just a currency. So yeah, and everybody's going with it. Yeah, that's the thing is it's global. So and there's different use cases. Like different. That's the thing that I love is like different countries view money very differently. Like here in these in the states, we're really privileged. And that's just the way it is. And that's why Bitcoin hasn't taken off over here because it seems like such a joke. It's like, oh, who needs access to – who needs financial access? We all have it. Hell, I can get a credit card right now yeah. during this interview if I wanted to. It will take me five minutes. Right. 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 But in other countries like Venezuela where they can't eat because their country is that corrupt, like the country is not feeding them, they're having to actually use Bitcoin to ship in – like groceries on the black market just to just to survive mm. like bitcoin's actually helping them live or wow. there was another very interesting use case in afghanistan we had a guest on her name was foresta and she runs this coding school for for women to learn how to code in afghanistan and mm. she was getting phone calls from the bank like hey we're not getting your payments well when mm. she was sending her students to to make the payments they were getting robbed so the payments weren't getting to the bank, so she couldn't have fund the school. So she started using Bitcoin. The bank got the money without risking the lives of her students to get the money to the bank. Right. right. So that's a and very no, real use no case. There's no middle people fund, you know, fiddling around with the, with, the, with the funding. Nope. She's just sending them no. digital cash. Like, here's your payment. I don't, have to send the, I don't have to send a girl to the bank, and she risks getting robbed right. or worse. Like, it's just – yeah. So there's very real use cases for different people around the world. And to me, that's kind of like why it clicks. It's like, oh, this is obviously a go for me anyways. So yeah. Um, do you feel like you know a little bit more about Bitcoin now than you did before? Oh, definitely. Most definitely. Thanks that's for good. clearing that up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I'm sold on it. <laughs> you know, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to find out as much as Obviously, I've got a long way to go, but I, I'm going to try to dive in and see what. I just started a. I'm I'm developing a new phone app, and I'm I'm really trying to figure out how I can integrate new things into 
the phone app. Awesome. And this, yeah. So this might might be a great way of doing that. I, I definitely would recommend learning yeah. the technology. Um, we have a slew of interesting people in our Slack, and a lot of them are very helpful. We're funny. Mm-hmm. We don't always talk about Bitcoin because that's that would yeah. be weird. <laughs> um, but uh, I I would behoove you join it. Go to the BitcoinPodcast.com. Click on the tab yeah. that says Slack. Hop on in and join the conversation. I will warn you, we have a very interesting character who goes by the name of um, Balzac. He spells it okay. interestingly, but uh, he's our neighborhood troll. I think we're yeah. going to deer with him. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyways, um, thanks for stopping by. I really appreciate it, Clark. I really hope... Oh, thanks for like, reaching out. I re- thanks for reaching out. I really appreciate it. I'm going to try my hardest to put you in contact with someone at Ujo Music so you can really see what the work that they're doing over there. We're supposed to have them on the show, oh, yeah. but I really think that they're going to hit the nail on the head with the way you feel the music industry should be going. So Yeah. yeah. I have it all written down right here. I'm going to dive right in uh, this afternoon, see what's happening. All right. Well, um, all right. Play. Can yeah, you say, so I'll, can you say I'll, one I'll thing? Be in touch. Uh, yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know what, what develops, and uh, uh, hopefully we'll you'll be able to stay in touch. And so see you, how, can see can you say there. one thing for me? Yes. Can you say play the outro? Play the outro.